Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of CallUponTheLord.com. My name's Corey Wigington, and this is episode 20. This week, we're going to be looking at week 20 of The Great Story, and that brings us to the book of Esther. So we're actually proceeding very well through the Old Testament. We only have one more Old Testament story to cover, and that's uh, about the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. And then we jump right into the New Testament with our Lord and Savior. So I'm very excited about that. One more week, and we'll be in the New Testament. Unfortunately, um, next week, I'll be able to do that one, but the week after that, when we jump into the New Testament, I'm going to have to take a a week or two break while I attend a seminary class. So, unfortunately, we won't be able to jump immediately into the New Testament, but rest assured, when I come back, we're going to have a great time. So, hopefully you enjoy our study of Esther today. So, Esther's a really great book. If you have not done so already, I suggest you go out to the website. It's www.calluponthelord.com. Grab your study guide. It's this guy right here. I teach from it every week. It's under the Bible study section, Corey Wigington, The Great Story. Scroll down to week 20, and you'll be able to find that there. You can go out to our Facebook page. Like us there. We're at Facebook, uh, slash call upon the Lord. And you'll find the links there to our webpage, and it'll get you to the area where you can download all of this information. You'll also be able to read the, the weekly blog post that I... Uh, write down that kind of goes along with this. Uh, just a little summary of, of the teaching. So I do encourage you to kind of connect up and, and get involved. So with that being said, let's get started. This week, we're looking at Esther. So <clears throat> the book of Esther takes place over about a 10-year time period, 10-year time span. Now, Esther's not there in the very beginning of the book, but... Uh, about chapter 2, I think, is where she shows up at. Um, the book, it, it details the, the reign of King Ahasuerus, or better known as King Xerxes. Depending on which version of the Bible you read, you'll see two different names there. It's the same person. So it's either Ahasuerus or Xerxes. Um, this is the king that seceded uh, King Darius I. So, this happened in 486 B.C. Don't get caught up on the names. I'm going to use King Xerxes here just because I like saying King Xerxes. So, um, like I said, this happened in about 483 B.C. Or 486, I guess, is when King Darius uh, died and when uh, King Xerxes actually seceded him. So... This happened about 50 or 60 years after where the book of Daniel basically ended up, where Cyrus had said that the Jews were allowed to head back to the land of Israel, or back to Judah, that is. So that's kind of the time period when I have a, a graphic here. Let's bring that up. <clears throat> this basically kind of gives you an idea of, of what we're looking at, what time frames and such that uh, we're kind of covering here. If we look at that, we can see that King Ahasuerus, he actually began his reign probably in about 485. Uh, Esther, the book of Esther begins in 483, and book of Esther ends in about 473. You can see there on that second line that the book of Esther, it, it kind of records the dates that uh, 
the chapters actually you know fall into there so that gives you an idea of the time frames that we're dealing with um, of course the the final years it's kind of broken down a little bit further because we're actually talking about days and, and weeks there instead of a, a long time period so that should give you an idea I got this out of the MacArthur study Bible uh, good graphic there that just gives you an idea of you know what we're dealing with and you know the time period and <clears throat> just kind of help you place that in history a little bit. So, one interesting thing to notice about the book of Esther is God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. Not anywhere in the book of Esther. It's not re We don't refer to God or, or God's will or anything like that. Um, it's not to say that this is not a biblical book, because obviously it is. It's in our Bible, uh, so it is canon. But it more talks about God's providence rather than miracles being performed. It, it shows that God is in control of all situations. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But I just want you to be aware that God is not actually mentioned in this book. But we see God's work throughout the entire book. We see that God is, is watching this situation, making sure that the right people are in the right place at the right time. So... God, you know, like we've discussed before, God is both imminent and transcendent. He's imminent with his creation in that he is everywhere. He's among us. He is above us, below us. He's everywhere in the creation. But yet he's also transcendent in that he is not affected by his creation. He's outside of it, and he controls it. So, some good uh, vocabulary words there for you. Imminent and transcendent. So let's get started here. Uh, Queen Vashti is the first section title that we have here. Basically what happened is, as we read through Esther 1, we find out that King Xerxes has come to power. And when he came to power, he wanted to celebrate, show people how rich he was. So he threw a 180-day festival to show, just to display to everybody, this is how rich I am, this is how extravagant that my empire is. You remember the Persian Empire conquered the empire of Babylon. They came down, basically took over everything that Babylon had. So, I mean, they were everywhere from down where Babylon was, which is current-day Iraq, all the way up over through where Israel and Judah was, uh, down into Egypt a little bit. I mean, they, the Persian Empire was basically the, the empire of the world at that time. So, he was the richest, most prominent ruler of that era, and he was basically showing off. After the 180-day festival that he had, he threw a seven-day feast for all of his princes, princes, not princesses, uh, princes, and his court officials, basically. Uh, big feast, plenty of wine. Says says in uh, Esther 1 that the wine drinking was, uh, people could basically do it of their own free will. So you can drink as much or as little as you as you wanted. It wasn't uh, something that you were forced to do. Uh, you just you drank however much that you wanted, and these people drank quite a bit. You know, seven days of drinking. You could imagine the the atmosphere that was going on in Babylon at this time. Well, I guess they weren't in Babylon. They were in a different city at this time. But uh, after the seven day of, of you know, seven days of feasting and, and of drinking go on, the king wants to show off his queen, Queen Vashti, because 
you know, evidently she was quite a beautiful queen. So he asked her, come in wearing your crown and, you know, I'll show you off to all of the, the princes of the land. Well, Vashti, Vashti refused him. And there's a couple reasons that we can look at that possibly why she might have refused him. First off, um, several commentaries say that the king wanted her to appear naked before all of his princes. So, since the Bible records that you know, he wanted her to come in wearing his, the crown, it's kind of implied that maybe he didn't want her wearing anything else. Which, if he wanted to show off her beauty, you know, that is one interpretation of, of what was going on. So, you know, perhaps Vashti didn't want to appear naked in front of a bunch of drunk men, which completely understandable. Um, so she refused the king. Second thing, it's possible that the queen was pregnant at the time, pregnant with the king's son, and didn't want to do that. Or thirdly, you know, it's uh, also a possibility that, you know, it was a little bit more of a, a modest thing, rather than appearing naked, since they wanted to see her beauty, that would mean that she would have to take down her veil, which was against the custom of the day. So you have the extreme side of, well, the king wanted her to appear naked, and then the not-so-extreme side of she didn't want to lower her veil because that was against the custom. Um, any way you look at it, the king wasn't pleased that Vashti refused him. You don't just refuse the king. The king asks you to do something, you do it. In those days, I mean, this is not a godly king that we're looking at here. I mean, he's liable to put Vashti to death for refusing one of his requests, and no one would have thought a thing about it because you don't refuse the king. But the king didn't put her to death. Um, you know, if she was pregnant with his son, well, that would uh, kind of lead to the idea that he wouldn't put her to death. But what he did do was he stripped her of her title and passed a law that basically said that he, she could no longer appear in his sight. So she was basically banished away from his sight. Her title was stripped from her. Now, I believe her son still seceded... Uh, or succeeded um, Xerxes on the throne but you know, Vashti was pretty much out of the picture at this point so now we get to the point where Esther comes onto the scene because a little bit after this time period the king decides that he wants a new wife so they basically advertise this huge beauty contest because the king wants the most beautiful virgin in the land to become his queen so we're introduced to Esther. Now, the Bible records that Esther's Hebrew name is Hadassah. So we call her Esther. Uh, that is her changed name, but her original name was Hadassah. She was raised by Mordecai. Mordecai was her cousin. Uh, the Bible doesn't say exactly that Mordecai was her cousin. It says that Mordecai was related to her because she was his uncle's daughter. So that would make him cousins. So Mordecai raised her. Uh, and was, yeah, Mordecai himself was a Benjaminite. Uh, he said you could trace his lineage back through Kish. Kish was, of course, the father of Saul. So we have a, a pretty good lineage there for Mordecai. Esther comes onto the scene, though, and she wants to be, you know, she is called up to be in this beauty contest for the king. So, 
one happened. Esther was basically urged by Mordecai to participate in this uh, beauty contest, but not to reveal her lineage. So don't tell anybody that you're a Jew. This could have been because Mordecai had a sense that people in the land didn't like Jews, that there was some type of anti-Semitism going on. Don't know, it's not recorded, but either, any way you look at it, he told Esther, don't tell anybody that you're a Jew. So she goes in, uh, she's part of this beauty contest, she has a year, one year, to prepare for the king. I don't know what all preparations are, are being done here, whether it's uh, you know fasting, getting in shape, or I'm not exactly sure what preparations were being done, but over the course of a year, she's preparing herself for the king. And in order to choose which one of these virgins that the king wants, basically, and mind you, this is not a godly king, the king calls in uh, one of the ladies. He, that woman spends the night with the king. And then the next day, the king sends her off to his, uh, off to be a concubine, basically. So everyone that came in second place in, in the selection process, they went off to his harem to be a concubine. However, Esther won his favor. It says Esther basically won the favor of everyone that she met. Uh, because she was so beautiful. And the king loved Esther more than any other woman, so he made her his his queen. So, that that's kind of what we're looking at. We had a beauty contest. The king sleeps with the woman each night of, of whatever he selects from. And then eventually he chooses the queen, and Esther becomes the queen of, of King Xerxes. So right after this time period, in Esther 2.19, <clears throat> we read that Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Now what we imply from that is that Mordecai must have been some type of an official in the king's court, because he was sitting at the king's gate. Now whether he was an official beforehand, or whether Esther had appointed him as some type of a high official, as she had the authority to do, we're not certain. But regardless, at this time, says Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. And while he was there, he discovered that two of the guards, Bigthan and Teresh, were plotting to kill the king. So Mordecai learns of this plot. He goes, he tells Esther. Esther tells the king. The king has it investigated, finds out, yes, this is a plot. This is actually going to happen. Mordecai just saved the king. So, uh, the Bible records that the two guards were killed, because they were plotting to kill the king, obviously. And Mordecai's actions were recorded in the chronicles in front of the king, so that the king could do something for them later on. Uh, that's kind of a little bit of foreshadowing what's going to happen here. So now we skip down to, to talking about Haman. Haman's another character in this story. We'll read a little bit about him in Esther 3, 1 through 6. Let's go ahead and look at that. <clears throat> it says, After these things, King Xerxes promoted Haman, the Agite, the son of Hamathatha, and advanced him and his throne above all the other officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed, before, bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. 
Then the king's servants, who were at the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman, in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For he had told them that as he was a Jew, or he told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So what do we see here? First off, um, Haman was descended from the Amalekites. Okay. Now if we remember back to our the rest of the Old Testament, Saul was commanded to kill the Amalekites, but he let some of them live. Haman is one of those Amalekites that was allowed to live. We are descended from one of those Amalekites. So he had this deep hatred of the Jews already. And when he found out Mordecai wasn't giving him the homage that you know, the king said that he was supposed to, he was infuriated all the more. It said once he learned that he was of the Jews, Haman sought to destroy everybody of the Jews. Now remember, Haman doesn't understand the link between Mordecai and Esther here. It's not quite, uh, not quite understood. So, and he certainly doesn't understand that Esther is a Jew as well. So, Mordecai, we see he's angry because Haman won't bow down and, and worship him. Of course, that's something that the Jews won't do, right? You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they wouldn't bow down and worship the king either because only God is worthy of worship. So Mordecai's not doing this. He's, he's not getting into to worshiping Haman. Haman doesn't like it, so he wants to destroy all the Jews in the Persian Empire. Let's read down a little bit here in Esther 3, 8 through 11. <clears throat> We see, it says, Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not in the king's profit to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who have charged the king who have charged the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do so, to do with them as it seems good to you. So the king's completely fine with this. He doesn't ask too many questions. You know, his second in command is basically telling them, there's these people out here, they're lawbreakers, they're, you know, people don't like them, they don't get along with the rest of us, we just need to eliminate them. King's fine with that. Haman said it, well, that's fine. Take whatever money you need. If the people are yours, the, the money's yours, just go take care of it. So the king's not concerned at all about this. He doesn't know, you know, it doesn't say that he knows that this is a Jews being assaulted certainly doesn't know that it's uh, uh, going to also affect Queen Esther. The king's just, all right, Haman, go deal with this. That's fine. 
So the king gave Haman the leave to do so without investigating. He also gave him the money to do it. Now the important thing to note here, and this comes back later, is that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, once a law is enacted, it can never be repealed. If the king has said it, that's the law, that from that point on, the you know, that is the law of the land. Not even the king can repeal that law. Which means they really had to be careful about what they said, because if you can't repeal a law, that can cause a lot of problems. So, basically what it was said was, on this particular day, we're going to allow anybody in the kingdom to attack the Jews, to kill the Jews, Without any type of punishment, you can take all their money, all their land, everything you want. Just kill the Jews, destroy them out of the kingdom. And, you know, on this day, you are allowed to do that without any type of penalty being enacted on you. So he's basically just saying, these people that are out here that have all this money, all this wealth, all this land, just go take it from them. It's fine. Don't worry. You won't, you won't get in trouble for it. Jews are obviously going to have some problems with this because everybody's going to want their stuff. This was not a, a godly people here. The, you know, the, most of the people in, in Persia, <clears throat> they had no problem with killing the Jews. I mean, if they can get away with it, hey, better for them. So the Jews were kind of in dire straits here because everybody, the law says that the Jews can kill, or, or can be killed, but it doesn't say that the Jews can kill anybody. So going to have some problems here obviously so Mordecai he's obviously he's devastated when he hears this news says he rips off his clothes he's, he's sitting in sackcloth uh, sackcloth and ashes and that that of course was in the Old Testament signi uh, signifying mourning he was in mourning he was you know he heard all of this was going to happen he was in mourning over this well Esther heard that Haman was I'm sorry that Mordecai was sitting in, in sackcloth and ashes, wanted to know what was going on. First sent him money to see whether, you know, you know, buy your clothes and, you know, don't mourn. He refused that, and then she actually sent somebody and said, what's wrong, Mordecai? What's what's going on here? And we see that. That's in Esther 4, 7 through 17. It's a little bit longer of a passage. Do, do, do. 4, 7. There we go. All right, let's read that. And it says, Hadath went out to Mordecai, or I'm sorry, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay him into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain to her and and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded the king to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death, except the one whom the king holds the golden scepter so that he may live but as for me i have not been called to the king in in these 30 days as they told mordecai what esther has said and they told mordecai what esther had said then mordecai told them to reply to esther do not think to yourself 
that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days or night, or three days, night or day. And I, my young women, will also do, uh, will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him to do. So we see here, Esther's pretty terrified. She knows that if she enters the king's presence without being summoned, there's a good chance she's going to die. says there's one law, and that's death. The only way she's going to avoid death is if the king holds down his golden scepter and says, yeah, Esther, you're allowed to come into my presence. The issue here is, this isn't the lovey-dovey couple that you know you picture when you picture a king and a queen. The king had a harem, so most of the time he didn't really associate with the queen. Queen was more of a, a political figure, if anything else. Uh, and most of the time they didn't spend a lot of time together. You see here in the Book of Esther, thirty days since the last time she'd appeared before, you know, been told to come to the king's presence. Maybe the king didn't like her anymore. Maybe the king had something against her. Maybe if she was presumptuous enough to appear before the king, the king would just, you know, have a bad day and say, Sorry, Esther, I didn't call you here. You're dead. And that's what she was afraid of. Now, Mordecai, he takes a little bit different approach. He says to her, Even though you're in the king's house, you're not going to escape this. If you refuse to help us, not only will you perish, but your father's house will also perish. Help will come from someplace else. This is implying that God is protecting the Jewish people and that he will raise up someone else to help. It doesn't really say that, but it implies that God has this under control. But perhaps that Esther has been put into this place for this particular uh, event, that the whole reason that she's in power is to save the Jews from what's going on here. And that's what Mordecai tells us. He says, you've been put there for such a time as this. So, upon hearing that, Esther decides, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I want you to fast for three days and nights. And I will do the same, and my young women will also do the same. And on that third day, I'll go before the king. And if he kills me, then he's killed me. And that's all that I can do. So, that's what they did. She went before the king and made her request. So, in Esther 5.2, we see Esther appears before the king. And when she does, the king's fine. He says, oh yeah, Esther, yeah, come on in. Haven't seen you in a while. And he's, he's very you know, happy to see her. He says, make your request up to a half of the kingdom. Up to, I'll give you the half, half of the kingdom. That was more of a, I'm not going to give you half of the kingdom, but you have my favor, and I'll give you pretty much anything that you want. So, uh, 
she appears before the king and says, King, I tell you what, I want to invite you to a banquet that I have prepared for you. And also, invite Haman as well. So, they invite Haman along. Now, Haman uh, was very pleased at this, obviously. He's the second in command, and he's just been invited to a banquet with just the king and queen. This is a pretty high honor, in, in Haman's opinion. I mean, he's being honored here. He's having dinner with the king and the queen. So, they go to dinner that night. They eat, and the king asks, asks her, Esther, what do you want? What, what is your request? Anything that you want, I will give you. And Esther says, You know, all I want you to do is come back for dinner tomorrow night as well. Both of you, just, just come back for dinner tomorrow night. And they agree. So Haman, he goes home at this point, and he's, he's full of pride. I mean, he's just full of himself. Here he is. He's the second in command of all, of all of Persia. He's just had dinner with the king and the queen. Uh, he's feeling very good about himself. And as he passes by the king's gate, he notices Mordecai sitting there. And, of course, Mordecai doesn't give him you know, the praises and the accolades that he's due, and he's upset with that. He's really angry with Mordecai. The Bible says he goes home and he talks with his friends and talks with his wife, and his wife tells him, you know, you should just build a gallows for him. Build a gallows 50 cubits tall. And remember, a cubit was the distance between your elbow and your finger. So about 18 inches, probably. 50 cubits tall, he was going to build this, and he was going to hang uh, Mordecai on it. So his plan was, I'm going to hang Mordecai on this, and then I'm going to go off to dinner with the king and the queen. He didn't see any problem with that. He didn't understand the relationship that was going on there. So he orders that the gallows be built. So they're, they're being built that night. It doesn't take much to build the gallows, obviously. I mean, you build a small wooden structure, you toss a rope over it, and there you have your gallows. Uh, but that same night, the Bible records that the king, he was having trouble sleeping. Uh, this is in Esther 6.1. It says he was having trouble sleeping, and he asked for the record of the chronicles be read to him. So as the records are being read... It gets to the part about Mordecai, about how Mordecai had revealed this plot that saved the king's life. So people were plotting to kill the king, and Mordecai had informed uh, Esther what was going on. And the king says, well, what's been done for Mordecai? Well, nothing had been done. So the king's trying to figure out, what, what can I do for Mordecai? Somebody saved my life. How can I honor him? So let's look at Esther 6, 6 through 10. And it says there. And, and basically what happened was that um, the king asked if anyone was in the court. His uh, person that was reading the, the chronicle said, well, Haman's there. So the king called Haman to his quarters. And this is what happened. He said, so Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, who would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head the, a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them, be, let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, 
and let them lead him on a horse through the city square, or the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done for the man whom the king delights to honor. Yeah. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman, he thought he was prescribing all of this stuff for himself. He said, well, the king should just give him this and give him that and you know, royal robes and a crown and everything else. And Xerxes like, that is a brilliant idea, Haman. Go do that for Mordecai. Now you got to think the horror that's just going through Mordecai's head here. Here's, er, I, yeah, going through Haman's head. Mordecai is, you know, a hated enemy, and he's going to kill Mordecai the next night. But now Haman has to honor him, so they put Mordecai on a horse, and Haman actually has to lead him through town because Haman is the the most important official in the kingdom, other than the king. So Haman has to lead Mordecai through the uh, through the kingdom, riding on this horse. You think of the embarrassment that's going on because he's just built this gallows to kill Mordecai, and now he has to honor him. So he goes home, tells his wife what's happened, and his wife tells him, "Look, you know, if you're against Mordecai, you're just going to die, because you know he obviously the king has honored him." So. The next day, when Haman was going to kill Mordecai, he obviously doesn't because the king just honored Mordecai, and he can't do that now. So he goes ahead and attends his second banquet. And at the conclusion of the banquet, the king asked Esther, Okay, Esther, what do you want? And Esther tells him, in Esther 7, 3 through 6, And we read, Then Queen Ans uh, Esther answered, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted me for my wish, and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Xerxes said to Queen Esther, Who is he? Who is he? Or where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. But Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. So, basically, the king says, well, What's going on here? Who did this to you? And Esther points and says, It was that man. Kind of see her sitting on the... the Witness stand, standing up. Who's that man right there? I see him. King's infuriated. Of course, he's been sitting there. He's been. He's had this big meal. He's had a lot of wine to drink. His anger has overcome him. So he gets up from the table and he goes outside, assumably to, to think about what's going on. Haman is terrified. He gets up and he starts begging the queen for his life. Now, we're. it's kind of unclear about what happens here. We'll give you a couple different... Uh, analysis of what happens uh, he could have just gone over to her and she was reclined on a couch could have gone over to her and just grabbed her clothes and is sitting there begging her uh, 
for his life. Also, it could be read that you know he tripped over the table and fell on top of her uh, accidentally. However, when the king comes back in, he sees Haman grabbing a hold of the queen. And assumably, the king thinks one of two things. One, that he is physically assaulting the queen in his presence. Or two, he is sexually assaulting the queen in his presence. Either way, it's not a good thing to do violating the queen in front of the king's presence. So the king is infuriated at this point. Not only is more, uh, Haman decided he wanted to kill the Jews, which is the queen's people, now he's actually assaulting the queen. Haman is, is coming very quickly to his end. And thankfully, there was this very helpful eunuch standing nearby and says, you know, Haman just built a, a gallows for Mordecai. You know, the guy that you honored the other day, the one that you paraded through town because he saved your life, he was going to kill Mordecai. Boy, that just add more fuel to the fire, isn't it? And Eunuch says, yeah, I built this gallows right back in his backyard. You could use that. And the king orders Haman to be hanged on his own gallows. So Haman, he meets his end at a, a very... Uh, unique form of justice, we'll say. So now we have this second issue here. Uh, the Jews. They need to be saved somehow. Uh, Queen petitions to the king, says, look, uh, can we can do something about this? Can we you know, take this decree and, and just say, you know, null and void it? And the king tells her, according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, what I've declared, I cannot undeclare. So, I'm sorry, but the people are, are this is going to happen. So, they come up with a new plan. Uh, Mordecai, first off, he's appointed, you know, basically he takes over the house of, of Haman. Esther appoints him to that uh, position. He ends up becoming second in the kingdom, basically assuming the, the same position that Haman had. Um, let's read Esther 8, 11 through 12, and we'll see the plan that they came up with to avoid the slaughter of the Jews. It says, um, saying that the king allowed the Jews, who were in every city, uh, let me see, I think I, I meant to put down 10, not, yeah. So let's read this, uh, Esther 10 through 12. And he wrote in the name of King Xerxes and sealed it with the king's signet. Then he sent the letters by bounded couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews, who were in every city, to gather and defend themselves, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and plunder their goods. So the kings basically said, All right, I have allowed everybody to attack the Jews on this day. Now I'm allowing the Jews to defend themselves and kill anyone, any armed force that's coming at them, to kill them and to take all their goods, to plunder everything that they have as well. So basically on that same day, the Jews were allowed to basically do the same thing. And said the people attacked the Jews, the Jews defend themselves, and the first day they killed about 500 people. And then the king went back to Esther and said, Esther, what is your, what, what is your uh, further request? And Esther said, well, I'd like the ten sons of Haman to be killed, further, and to be hanged. Uh, further, I'd like the Jews to have another day 
to kill their enemies. And the king granted that. So the next day, the Jews went out and they killed 75,000. So first day they killed 500 people. Next day they killed 75,000 people that were their enemies. But they didn't plunder them. It's kind of reminiscent of, of what happened back in when uh, God originally commanded Saul to kill the Amalekites. He told them, kill the people, don't plunder their goods. So leave what they have there. That's not for you. So that's basically what happened here. The Jews went out. They killed 75,000. Effectively, what happens here is the Amalekites are completely wiped out. Sons of Haman are, are killed, and all of their enemies were destroyed at this point. 75,000 of them. So the Jews are saved. Uh, we see the, the, seven, the next part of the second day there in Esther 9, 13 through 14. That's where they killed 75,000 people. Uh, the Jews were saved, and in honor of Esther and the saving of the Jews, the Jews now celebrate a feast called Purim. Uh, it commemorates what Esther did here. It is a non-Mosaic feast. So it's one of the few, I think it might be the only uh, non-Mosaic feast actually mentioned in the Bible. So what lesson do we learn from this story? Of course, that, that brings us to the end. That's the end of the book of Esther right there. It talks about the, the Jews being saved and then Mordecai being promoted. And, you know, that's the end of the book. So the lesson we get from the, uh, the story here is God puts the right people in the right place at the right time to do his will. And even if you're in the right place at the right time and you don't do his will, he'll raise somebody else up who will. God's will is always accomplished. We are never outside of, of God's will. God's always, His will is always accomplished. It's a matter of whether we want to cooperate with it or not. I guess I kind of misspoke that a little bit. God's will is always accomplished. We could be outside of God's will. But His will will always be accomplished. It's a matter of whether you want to be a part of it or not. I personally would rather be a part of God's will than outside of it. Because... That seems like a bad place to be. I, I want to be where God wants me to be. So that's what happened here in the book of, of Esther. You remember Mordecai told her, maybe you were put there for a time such as this. God put you here to do this, this task. If you're not going to do it, someone else will. But God put you here for a very specific purpose. So that's our lesson for, for this week. Like I said... Next week, we're going to be talking about the rebuilding of the walls, take a week or two break, and then we'll be back here talking about Jesus. We'll have, I don't know, four or five weeks talking about Jesus. I personally can't think of anything better to talk about. You think about that, five or six weeks talking about Jesus, or four or five weeks, I'm not, not exactly sure right now, about talking about just Jesus. We've covered the entire Old Testament, like books at a time. Now we're going to take it much more closely examine different parts of Jesus' life. You, you see the importance of the life of Jesus. This is the, the culmination of the entire Bible right here. So, very important that we learn about Jesus, what he did, who he was, who he said he was, and you know, just, just understand a little bit about our Lord. So, that brings us to the end. Join us back here next week. So until then, keep reading, keep studying, keep praying. God bless you all. Have a good week.